Spencer your way. Not really, but uh, currently liquor is the plan to help with that, so we'll see how that goes. Always a good way to start your day. BJ, how's California? Uh, it's lovely, as usual. Same weather it always is? Um, it actually has been a little bit colder, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. Um, we had a bit of a discussion on how amazing it is to uh, sleep when it's a bit colder out, and mm -hmm. you just sleep so much better. So that's been really nice. Nice. And Levi Baxter Turner, Boston Zone, how you doing? Living the dream, baby. Living the dream. Title Town, USA. Title Town. <laughs> you in DC, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll see you in a week. Uh, I'm going to visit Levi at, uh, in Boston in a week. Levi, you want to do a uh, NBA pod while we're up there? Sure, let's do it. Uh, we can talk about uh, how you've basically taken over the Dallas Mavericks fandom from me. You've just told me that I'm not allowed anymore. No, you're a Celtics fan now. You're basically uh, gaslighting uh, me the entire time. Issue, don't they? <laughs> How about that Gordon Hayward? Yeah, he is. He's looking good. Yeah, we'll do a pod. That's fun. Um, I do want to give BJ a chance to plug a very, very good podcast they released this week. Halloween on Halloween on Pottering Around. Uh, yeah, we did Halloween on Halloween. It was a little bit of a, a treat and, and there was a little uh, trick, as you might say, in there. Um, we have our, our talent uh, that, that did a musical rendition for us, uh, which was very so, so yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, and, and we're continuing with that. Levi, have you listened to that pod? Uh, to be honest, I have not. So not the man. intro is just Spencer, a mashup of Spencer humming the Harry Potter theme. Oh, I I will download and listen to the first first minute or so. Um, not to be critical, guys, but I, I I can't do the week to week stuff like just long delays and stuff. I'm more of a binge guy, right? So, um. Once it's fully released, I'll download them all and invent them at some point. I'll probably, you know, in, in five years, I'll be up time. It'll be time to reread Harry Potter. So um, it'll be good yeah, to go. Sounds good. But 100% Halloween episode, uh, episode 10. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was that was a good call on y'all's part. Having that ready Halloween morning. I thought that was pretty good. It's professional, BJ. <laughs> Do what I can. I like planning, sort of. All right, Spencer and I are cranking through uh, Mangum Talks TV. We're doing Succession. The next episode that we have to record is Tom's Bachelor Party, and oh my God, is it a good one. I've not watched it, uh, but from what you've told me, we're going to need to probably include a content warning before we even do our recap of that episode. <laughs> You're going to have to do a lot, of the, a lot of the heavy lifting on that one, Spencer. Uh... <laughs> and by the way, I, so I told Terry directly, but uh, Spencer, um, possibly a top 10 moment in my entire life was you trying to answer what bottle service is. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I knew just, just filled me to, to, to its core with joy and excitement. I heard the setup of the question and I knew it'd be great and it delivered. Rarely in life do things actually deliver when you have that high of expectation for them and you delivered. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I feel like I'm gonna need to, to listen to at least that specific part. Um, and I guess the, the thing that amuses me so much, especially about this is, um, for the most part, I feel like some of us try and keep it a little bit away from 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 the bluer end of things. But Spencer, like you just go 100% Smurf. It's just like you you have decided what it's going to be and and you are there. It helps that you guys have me intoxicated on pretty much all of our podcasts now. So the sensor's <laughs> just out the window. Yeah, he, he Spencer does that as a gift to me because he knows I don't like the word blue. Um, okay, I sent out the whiskey this week. Uh, and you have three. Does everybody have the whiskey? Mm -hmm. I have three. I have we a... have 
very amateurish uh, markings on here, by the way, Terry. <laughs> Scotch tape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might have done a quick whiff. Um, I just. You were trying to find the peanut butter one. I. Uh, it, it wasn't a so much try as like I knew I would, and I was just sort of curious as to the order that, that it was going to do things. Um, I understand that this might be a little bit of a Halloween themed episode. Um, I just hope that there's a treat. <laughs> Three is because one of them, as as uh, I talked about last time we recorded, and BJ just mentioned, is a peanut butter whiskey. That one's going to go last. I think that's going to wreck everybody's palate. I do have two, I think, pretty good whiskeys before that, that we can try. So let's start with the one, the bottle that does not have any scotch tape on. So we're going from zero to one to, to two markings. Is that the, the order here? Indeed. I was hoping that'd be out of order uh, and it would just like flummox BJ just ever so slightly. I do appreciate that, that he did I... zero index, so. Yeah, last time I did it, I just, I didn't even have one that had zero on it. Which... I realized it was pretty stupid afterwards. Okay, so the first whiskey you're trying is a brand new whiskey. Uh, just hit the market not too long ago. It's called The Burning Chair. It is the first release of a guy named Dave Finney's um, highly anticipated four-year bourbon. Uh, it's a mix, or it's a blend, um, with bourbon that is procured from Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee. It was aged for a minimum of four years, and it's out of Napa Valley. So... My home, hometown, almost. Yeah, over near you, BJ. <laughs> um, Close enough. Does not yeah. smell like much. For folks who, who don't recall, BJ lives in San Diego, which is is like <laughs> about as close to Napa as like Seattle is. But sure. I was, I was gonna say, you know, about as close as you are to DC. So. All right, Spencer. We really don't have hot seat. The burning chair. I do not have much to say about this. It does not have much smell to me. The taste is just me. I mean, it's perfectly smooth. It comes across as a very generic kind of bourbon taste. I don't have any objections. I don't have much to say about it being unique. It's better than fine. It's even good. I like it. It's. Uh, I just don't really have much to comment on it. Welcome to blended whiskeys. Yeah. yeah. Back. I think that there are blends that have pluses and minuses, but honestly, like this is sort of what I imagine TV shows serving when somebody asks for a bourbon. Most generic possible. Interesting. Yeah. I, I like that. It's, it's good. I mean, it tastes good. It's perfectly fine to sip. It's just, there's not much unique about it. What do you think? I actually like it a lot. Uh, I mean, uh, you're quite correct. There's nothing unique to take home about it, right? But like sometimes you're not looking for something unique to take home. You don't want to mull over and 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 taste floral notes and try to try to be complex. You just want a little bit of whiskey. Sit on the porch, especially um, up here where there's actual changing of seasons, as opposed to you, Spencer or UBJ. Sure, you've, got, you've got a little bit of that, but but even less so. Where you know it's a little chilly outside. You want something that'll just get a little nip, um, warm you up a little bit, um, but you don't necessarily want to be mulling over things and trying to have complex notes. I like it a lot, actually. This, I do too. I, I'm more on your side, Levi. I think it's a, a really good blended whiskey. I actually do taste a few things and I get a strong vanilla taste from it. I can see that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's 88 proof. And it 
cost, this is this is where it's interesting, uh, Spencer and BJ, because you both kind of refer to it as sort of a generic whiskey, but it costs like ninety dollars. Ooh, like it tastes generic, but I was I was going to be surprised if it was under fifty. Yeah, it's right it, in our liquor stores anyway. It's right around ninety. It's, it's kind of like some of the Johnny Walkers, where it's good. There are definitely times to have it, but it's also kind of generic. I mean, it's it's the I don't know. I'm trying to think about like a, a good food reference where it's just like it's like a good steak restaurant where it's just like you know what you're gonna get. It's not gonna be a surprise. It's gonna be a good steak. You know, it's like going to the Palm. You, you're going to pay a bunch of money. You're going to get a good steak. You're going to have a good meal. It'll be special, but it's not going to be unique. And this one of the things of where if I don't know what else to order, like which is the regular occurrence for me, if I see now that this is an option, I will get it because it's perfectly pleasant. It, I, there's nothing. I just it's just awkward for this kind of podcast because I I don't really taste vanilla. I don't really taste much of anything other than this. If I imagine bourbon, bam. That's the that's the kind of flavor I taste. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, uh, BJ, do you have any guess on the mash bill? Oof. Um, I I would guess a a decent portion of wheat and a little bit of rye. There is like a bit of spiciness that I'm getting, and then that sweetness that that wheat often comes with. Um, but. I, I would guess, you know, not not high percentages on the rye and something mid-level on the wheat. Yeah, it's actually corn. But yeah, you're right about the rye, 21% rye. So good call there. Yeah. Okay, well, that's the burning chair whiskey. I can tell you in our liquor stores anyway, the stuff sells out really quickly. Um, I don't know if that's a you know, scarcity issue as opposed to like high demand, but um, <laughs> I got it. It was like the second bottle left. Wow. The comment about Johnny Walker is interesting, right? Because this this definitely would be a replacement for the generic Johnny Walkers, which are, I mean, they're very good. Like Blue Label's good, not distinctive, nothing to take home. It's like a, a stellar, stellar example of what it is. Um, I have a hard time price competing a lot of things, though, with that kind of price point. Which one? Like this? Yeah. Um, this is an inoffensive whiskey that, that you're not going to actually, you know, offend anyone. Yeah. I think a lot of what you're paying for is the bottle. I mean, it's a fucking serious bottle. Look at that. That's a, a little bit more. Very unique it's, bottle. It's, it's interesting. It's completely I, I dark. It has a yeah. Heavy. Uh, it's black. It's got a label of a guy on fire in a wheelchair. Hmm. So you're, so you're telling me that something out of California uh, focuses more on the look of things as opposed to the taste of things. Interesting. Never would have guessed. <laughs> it, it does taste quite good. I, I mean, you know, I, I like that the joke is there, but. Um, Spencer, I would say this is like the best law firm whiskey that you could have. Good call. That's yeah. very cool. No, no, th this is the kind of thing of where if I had a bottle of this, it'd be easy to give it to pretty much anybody because it's not going to, everyone's going to find something to enjoy about this because there's not much that it's going out in any particular odd way. that's going to break someone's power to break, break what they're going for. One of the jokes that I was making about somewhat Southern California weather is it's like uh, a Sears model. Like, you know, she's going to be perfectly pleasant and fine. Nothing particularly stand out, um, you know. Reliable brand. But 
so BJ, were you referring to a model of something or actual physical, like a female model? Person, like a female model. Yeah, I'm, I'm envisioning you at like like 12 with the inklings of, of horniness, <laughs> just like pulling the Sears catalog and being like, eh, I guess this will do. I really prefer Victoria's Secret, but but I, you know I take it uh, because I think when you were twelve, it was a little bit before internet was was readily available. You may have had it, maybe even had it in your home, but it wasn't sort of the the place where it is now. So you're you're, you're back to catalogs, especially clothing ones, because those are you don't have to you know, your your mom or dad gets those and and they have racy sections and you and, and you have like a classification of the models there of Sears being like it'll do nothing special, but it'll do. I like you started that with the inklings of horniness. Like that could be like, <laughs> like the name of BJ's autobiography. <laughs> uh, so, amusingly, I feel like this would be hundred percent on brand. But I did have internet quite early. My dad was a computer programmer, and so um, I feel like my my access to internet porn started at a surprisingly early age, given given when when uh, we all were born. Four, four, five. Uh, I mean, uh, he's taking five days to download bitmaps of, uh, yeah. It was ASCII art, you know. Cool. All right. Well, it sounds like we liked, don't love this whiskey. I think the, the reception it's getting, um, for me, I think the price point might be a little high. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's sort of high and it's sort of not because like, it's definitely not on par with Johnny Walker Blue, but I feel like it's in the same conversation. Maybe like green. Yeah, I mean, something like that, and and that's about kind of the right price point for something that is smooth and and completely inoffensive. Um, I feel like bourbon gets a little bit of the short end of the stick because it doesn't have the history, and, until it gets stupid expensive. Do the colors work for Johnny Walker? I've never really been clear on that. So I think it's uh, red, black, gold, green, blue. So it's sort of more complicated, um, but but that's sort of the general idea. I think gold and green are switched, though. Um, so so red red was something that they came out later and was purely made to be a blending whiskey. Um, people drink it straight because it's cheap, I guess. Um, but uh, red, black, and blue are the non-age statement blends. Um, means that they don't have like a cutoff as, for the different whiskeys that go in there. Um, green and gold, I believe, both have age statements um, of like 15 and 18 years. So the blends that they put in have to be a minimum age of, of those of uh, 15 and 18 years. Um, yeah, and you're right. It's green and gold. Um, and then at some point they had a platinum that I think was like a minimum age of 21. And I feel like the price point on that was just way too high for what it was. And then they like quickly rotated it out. Um, but yeah. The reason I ask is I just noticed that the Costco near me, that they have uh, Johnny Walker Black by the gallon. And I was just trying to pri see whether that was ever a good idea. Really a gallon or a half gallon? Uh, I'll double check. It was a massive bottle that was out. And I would guess 1.75 liters if I had to make a guess, but I could totally see Johnny Walker just putting out gallons of it, for, yeah. especially for Costco. Um, <laughs> but, That's a good call. The other side of that, Spencer, is I would say that's never, like, it's not a good enough deal. I just don't, I guess I don't like Johnny Walker black enough to buy it. 
Agreed. I would never, I would never buy that. Good. And Spencer, it's not that it's bad. It's just not, it doesn't do anything right. Um, it's, it, it's more expensive than perfectly fine whiskeys. Mm -hmm. um, thanks to the, bull the bullets of the world. Um, it's, it seems a little bit potentially more expensive than that. And it just doesn't get you much. So, yeah, wow. I mean, unless you're trying to get drunk and you're, you, you like Johnny Walker is sort of your whatever choice. I feel like it's a, it's a little bit more on the expensive side if you're going to use it as a mixer. And then it's a little bit on the cheap side for anything to drink neat. And I can't think of pretty much anything at any reasonable price point that I would want to go through a gallon of. Fair <laughs> enough. It doesn't go bad. Well, I mean, New Year's is coming up, so just just consider <laughs> that. Bear in mind, this being Costco, I walked past that to go to the Kirkland bourbon that I sent to you guys when I when I bought that. <laughs> Ugh. Which, which decision I pr would prefer you make? Do we want to do uh, some on brand? Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Anybody want to start? I've got one. I can start. Um, I kind of want to bring up some things for Spencer that I'm curious if he's going to talk about or not, and maybe he'll just say it's not that interesting. Um, one, one of which, uh, apparently on two lawyer salaries, uh, he and Bridget can't figure out a good way for them both to be able to play video games. Um, and so there's some sort of alternation uh, schedule going on. And, and that just like tickled me for, for so cheap all sorts of reasons. I mean, I know like watching people play video games does have its entertainment. I like one of my favorite memories of um, our, our group was watching Adam play portal hmm. and, and just like watching that struggle happen. Um, but, but yeah, I'm also uh, kind of prime you Spencer, just cause I don't have that much in the way of on brand. Uh, the only on brand I have, um, is a short story that will lead me into some topics that I have. Um, so I feel like I should, uh, eat, well, I can say what it is and then bring it up uh, afterwards. But um, I had, I spend time like, and, and look through a lot of deals online. And so basically there's a company called Box that every so often does deals that, and sometimes deals with Amex. And so one of the really useful things, if you have a use for it, is you can buy stamps. And basically there's rarely any way that you can get stamps for less than cover value, but basically this is a way that you can get stamps and a bunch of other things for, for less than, than uh, face value. But I don't really use stamps that much. Like I think I still have a book of 20 stamps that I got about a decade ago. Um, and so usually I'll buy it for my parents because my parents both have their own businesses and apparently they sent out lots of mail and particularly my stepfather who's uh, like 80, it sends out a lot of mail and does things a lot of old fashioned ways. Um, I think very recently his business switched over from like the old chunky like uh, credit card thing where like you, you go and it gives you like a, a, a carbon copy. Yeah. Yeah. I do my best on the Foley work. 
Um, anyway, and so I was just kind of tickled that, you know, I'd gotten him stamps like a month ago or whatever. And then every so often I'll, I'll send my uh, parents toilet paper and stuff like that from Amazon. And so he wrote me a check and mailed it, which I thought was like the funniest thing. Because first of all, like, you know, whatever, it's it's not particularly large amounts of money. And it was also the like connection. the physical act of writing a check and mailing it to me. It was just so funny to me. Like, cause I don't write checks. I can't think of the last time that I wrote a physical check. And so the segment that I was going to bring up after our on brands is when's the last time you wrote a physical check and why that wasn't for business purposes. Cause I feel like, uh, Lee, you could just do that all the time for, for work. And I just, I have no idea. Um, but I was actually discussing this with my girlfriend. I was just like, oh, it's really funny, really old fashioned. Like, you know, I think the last time that I wrote a physical check was probably sometime between college and grad school more than 10 years ago. Um, and I guess this, you know, par I guess partially speaks to like how uh, digitally either connected or, or entrenched that I am that I just, I don't find like a, a useful purpose for it, essentially. And I immediately go for like, all right, can I pay this online? Like my bank will send out checks like so I don't have to deal with this crap. Okay, so I don't know how we want to do this. Do we want to just go ahead and answer that question and then do any on brand afterwards? Yeah, there, sure. Okay. There are is one point that I want to bring up before we move on to actually answering the question. BJ, it really says a lot about your personality that your interpretation of watching Adam play Portal is that you like watching him fail, as it were, um, as <laughs> yeah. as opposed to the rest of us that wanted to watch him succeed. Um, like we. We wanted to see him figure stuff out and then have that sort of glimmer of joy when you figure out a puzzle. Um, you, on the other hand, are like, yeah, he's going to be frustrated. It's going to be great. That is, that is not at all true because Spencer <laughs> and I both enjoy seeing how people fail differently at Portal. Yes, the success is always fun and we, we enjoy that. But there's like almost everybody fails at Portal in a different way. And it's always funny to see how any individual person like struggles with Portal because it's almost always something unique and or interesting. Spencer, is this true? That this, this you enjoy true. seeing seeing people fail in a unique way, or is it failure in the 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 stewardship or the goal of of succeeding? Because I think it your is, frame is typically the succeed part. It is failure in the process of succeeding. That Portal's a wonderful game of where the successes are just celebrated by everybody in the room, particularly those who played it before, because they've all gone through that pain. So it's not really like a enjoying their suffering it's enjoying them go through the same process you did and knowing that a success is coming down the bend and you're all going to be happy together it's also just really fun to watch adam play video games because the man just gets himself tied into knots and finds the most unique ways to victory in the end like he spent he also if i remember correctly gives you a running commentary like he's always talking as he's going there's an element of that yeah there's also the time he spent 120 hours in elder scrolls oblivion designing an entire invisibility suit because he refused to play the game normally and he's just fun to watch <laughs> okay uh so checks uh bj i actually do write checks i don't really write them at, i don't really deal with checks at work other than when a uh subcontractor needs to return money to us I found it just much more simple for them to cut a check than trying to give them REFT information and all that crap. It's just yeah, that's not worth it. Yeah. But I write a number of checks to organizations that I have to pay that I have no faith has any level of reasonable security in their online systems. So the city yeah. of Durham, I always pay them in the check because I don't <laughs> want to give my bank account information 
to this local government that surely will fuck it up at some point. Yeah. I mean, like I, so I have my bank will send out checks. So pretty much any time that like, for various reasons that I like have to send out a check, I like, I can, you know, tell my bank, give my bank an address and like a, a pay and I guess they'll send it out. But like physically writing out a check is just not something that I've done for, for a really long time. Well, it's just safer if you're dealing with, it's just safer if you're dealing with a non-sophisticated organization because they're not reaching into your bank account. I write enough checks. I just got 400 more in the mail like two weeks ago. Wow. <laughs> One brand. All right. Cover the basis. So, so this was the discussion. I, I, write, I write enough checks. I've paid you guys in checks before. I have gotten a check from you. Yes. <laughs> Spencer, have you ever paid somebody back for like going out together with a check? Like going out to a restaurant together. Lee, what did I pay you in a check for? Because it was something like that. I do, honestly I don't remember, but I think it was last New Year's. You gave me a check for something. It's like you'd paid for something, and I wanted to pay my share, and so I pulled a check that I had in my wallet, ready to go, and wrote it out there in front of you to give it to you. I know, and it was such a collision of like worlds because then I downloaded it through the app on my, on my smartphone. <laughs> yeah. BJ, the last check I wrote was three days ago. I mean, I, yeah, I write checks all the time. Yeah. 100% sure that you wrote checks all the time and for surprisingly minor things. Like, are, are most of the checks that you write for, like, utility bills and then you, like, mail it out? Like, this is where, like, I know we can get into some weeds. I also figured that, Levi, like, you would write a surprising number of checks because I feel like the physical act of, like, paying rent with a check is something that you would enforce that it's just like i'm not going to pay the stamp but i will like walk the check to wherever it needs to go i am not going to make their life any easier than it absolutely has to be and it'll be on like the last day the last minute the, the office is open like if you interesting at that point so um when i work when i um lived at a at a place that was owned by a company Yes, I absolutely did that. I wrote checks. I would not give them my bank account information. I don't want them deducting stuff automatically. I don't trust them with that, to, to Terry's point. Um, and yes, I would I would physically hand deliver it at the last possible moment, um, every time. Now, I will say when I'm dealing with individuals, if I'm renting from an individual who owns a place, I'd prefer to have it electronically transferred. Um, but for the time being, we are paying um, my partner's um, parents, sort of, but really a trust that owns the place that we live. Um, we're paying them um, by physical check. Uh, all we recently brought up the fact that that's absurd. Let's just do bank transfers. This is nonsense. Um, we we trust each other. <laughs> it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> I mentioned it earlier, BJ, but um, how do you pay taxes? Because I I don't give my information. I don't e-file. I don't I don't give it. So I I, I pay taxes with a check. That is the one thing that I, I regularly pay uh, with a check. Um, to Terry Terry hashtag on brand. You like send in the paperwork? Yeah. You do it or an accountant? I do it. Interesting. Really? Impressive. See, that surprises you? Like, I, th this I, is a hundred percent on brand. Like, I just see him like no. in a basement with a bare bulb, like scratching out taxes <laughs> with like, an old-fashioned calculator that has the uh, paper spool. Oh, that <laughs> sounds like Spencer to me. On. No, because I, I could see Levi being like, no, 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 like I, I pay people for that sort of thing. Because like the very a lot of services, Levi will very dismissively say, this is why I have a job. This is why I have money. You do that. 
yes, Terry, that's that's one of the reasons why we're good friends is because both of us have that that opinion on things. Um, <laughs> like you with your car, you're like, that's why I earn money. It's to pay someone to change the oil and do stuff. Like I, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I could do it. It's not hard. I've done it before, but I'm not going to keep doing that. It's not reasonable. Um, whereas Spencer, yes, Spencer. Hundred percent the bear bulb because he's not he's not buying a new light bulb he's gonna use that old crappy one. Um, he's he, 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 it hasn't yet. He's gotten the calculator at a yard sale and yes, uh, when the spools of, <laughs> of of ribbon go out, he's gonna be struggle to find a replacement for that. Um, that that's hundred percent Spencer. A cat's walking around, uh, like he, just just a weird weird person. There was he one year his other pets and and I think my stepfather has um, some spare calculators if you ever need a, a backup. I actually borrowed a calculator from work to bring home to do my taxes. <laughs> Your phone has a calculator on it. I, I did actually not know that at the time I was doing it. <laughs> Spencer. In eight. I also wanted a hand calculator that I could type. It felt me feel better. So Spencer, since we're sharing our camera, which is horrible for people listening in, um, but I'm going to try to narrate it. Is this what you do? Like you sort of type in there and, 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 and the ribbon goes up and then you pull pull it up and then stare at it, like bring it close to your eye and stare at it. Um, it's like, ah, okay, $600 there. Yes. Ah, how can I save more money? Can I get yeah. you like a pair of readers? Is that going to be like a good present in like a year or two where you, so you can like you know, sit and identify like the small type on, on you know, the calculator uh, paper? This is one of the things where I actually do e-file, but I do all the math by hand on calculator on paper, and then I type it into the uh, online program I use. The question for you: Do you balance your checkbook? Do I balance my checkbook? Yeah, like a little, you know, yeah. the little ledger you have in a checkbook where you can balance it. I do not balance my checkbook. I just follow since everything's immediately put onto my um my, my online banking. It's all right there to balance already. Okay, that's disappointing. I, I don't. I do not keep a hand record of that. Speaking of balancing checkbooks, that was always something that that really enraged um, one of my grandmothers who, who who passed within the past year or so. Is that she would give me a a you know twenty bucks, twenty five bucks for 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 birthdays um, in, in check form. And ever since I was like seventeen, after I had a regular job, I was like, I'm not cashing this check. This is not possible. I'm, I'm not taking your money. Um, like, there's a Seinfeld episode about this. Live your life. Um, and, but she would invariably, like nine months later, Levi, did you get that check from, from, oh, yeah. from me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I must have misplaced it. I, I think I'm okay, but I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. It, but it, every year for, for like almost you know, 15 years of just lying to her about uh, whether I was going to cash her check because she was balancing her checkbook and was really enraged by the fact that that $20 hadn't been clear. <laughs> so there's a, a Seinfeld episode about this where Jerry was doing the same thing. And Kramer started yelling at him. I was like, you need to cash those checks. Like, she's giving it to you. Like, it's disrespectful. So Jerry goes in and cashes like 10 years worth of checks and it like bankrupts his grandmother. <laughs> uh, it's kind of on brand for me, but I've gotten those calls from relatives before. And sometimes it was because I had opened the card, read it on, oh, that's nice, and put it in my mantle without ever taking the check out or realizing the check was there. So it's like, that's on brand, Spencer. Like, oh, you sent me a check, and I go like the card, and I look, and I'm reading the cards. Oh, that was a really nice message. And then I look left, and oh, there's a check there. Sorry, <laughs> take that out. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, on the subject of writing checks, through the many years of uh, living with Levi, I got a number of checks from him. And one of the things he always did that that always made me laugh is on the the subject line, he would write the most horrendous shit. It would be like hookers and blow for sex. 
And I was always, I did not have to go into the bank and like <laughs> tell her who's looking at this check. It says it like it's for like blowing midgets or whatever he said. <laughs> so, so it's pretty funny. Spencer, did you ever get like an entertaining uh, memo that that you remember? Or was it just such a like automated teller job that you just um, enough uh, talking to customers that you weren't going to like read it? And for the, for the audience listening, uh, Spencer was a bank teller for a hot second. I was bank, bank teller for um, many months that I was in college. I was working at Wachovia. And uh, no, mm -hmm. anytime anyone had written the memo line, it was really pretty basic. We Customers, though, that would come in of where it was very obvious that I was helping process a drug deal, essentially. Of where people would come in very looking shifty with a massive collection of crumpled up fives, tens, and ones. I was like... And they're looking to deposit this in their account. It's like, okay, I'm Bill Spencer, but I know what this is. Uh, do I have... Uh, no, it wasn't. No? No, people who sell drugs do not go into banks. They don't want the government seeing that money. I don't... Not, what, what, it is in no account what, anywhere. It's in a shoebox under their bed. What was this guy doing then? Uh, probably just poor. Maybe. But it, I guess anyway. it, it, it was one of the things where too much people back to ever turned to me afterward and said, yeah, he sells drugs on the corner. So that that was also my evidence that I had. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. Well, I can do my on brand. Um, you guys are ready. So I have something to announce to you guys. <clears throat> I've made a decision in my life. Uh oh. Um, I for at least six days a week, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Interesting. What has prompted this, Terry? All right. I'm going to lose Levi in three, two, one. <laughs> uh, I really don't like how they treat animals. The animal welfare part really bugs me. Like, I don't like that we have like cows and, and pigs and chickens that we raise just to sit in cages, to be pumped full of corn, just so they can be slaughtered. So I can have a chicken nugget. I don't like it. Follow up question. Um, when are you going to reveal this to Doug? Hmm. Very good question. <laughs> Solid question. Uh, Had not considered. <laughs> and, and another follow up question. So which day is your meat day? So I, I, it's a floating day because I, I want to be able to go to like social engagements that serve meat. I don't want to be that person. So like if somebody has a barbecue or something, I want to be able to go over and eat. So I kind of keep it floating. But some weeks, like I've been doing this now for three, four weeks. And like like this last week, I didn't have a meat day because it just never came up. But I give myself the option in case I, I need to socially. Yeah. There's like a new dish. What if there's like a new dish or something that's out there that I really want to try? I assume it, like it's, it's like an on average thing. You're essentially just avoiding... Uh meat products. So how do you feel about like more ethically sourced stuff? So like, you know, in, in a some amount of time, are you going to be buying like free range chickens or like growing your own? And it's like, you know, well, this is Maddie and, you know, she laid eggs for quite a number of years and, you know, we've been petting her, but it's her time because she's really dumb and I, I want some fried chicken. I've seen this episode <laughs> of Portlandia. So uh, I, before I, I did this, um, I, I actually started just eating um, probably now for about six months, unless I was at a restaurant or something. If I was buying meat, it was always free range chickens or grass fed beef. I tried to stay away from pork. Uh, two follow up questions for me. Uh, everyone I know that's vegetarian basically defines it differently in terms of what things they view as part of their diet and what things they don't. Uh, are you continuing to consume things like eggs, cheese? Would you put that more in the vegan category if you uh, scratch those out? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, 
um, I consider eggs and cheese on the table for me um, because I, I, I'm really defining it as meat, like actual meat. Fish. Um, the animal was killed in order to eat it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, fish, shrimp, all of that. That's all in there. Um, so, so I'm gonna try and ask a, a very Levi question. So, you're fine with how they treat like migrant farm workers and stuff like that, but you know the the line that you draw is is at how they treat chickens that that are that are raised for you to to eat. So that that type of comment, I think, is a is a real like fallacy because it's like it, it assumes that you can't do one morally good thing if there's some other aspect of your life that is not morally good. So I'm basically, not trying to make a good moral, moral argument. I'm just yeah, that, saying that is what you're saying. You're saying you're saying you know it's somewhat with some level of hypocritical. And I'm saying that if you you decide to do something good, you shouldn't take that completely off the table because every other aspect of your life and every other good or service that you procure is a hundred percent. You just prefer prioritizing non-humans. I, I I get that. It's fine. Sure. I mean the the obvious like response there, Terry, is that well your 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 argument is correct, right? Like you shouldn't criticize someone for doing good because they could could be doing more good. Um, the obvious response is you're picking the easy way out. It's straightforward. You're not killing something, right? Like you don't have any clue where that tomato comes from, where that lettuce comes from. Um, and, and in some ways you probably can't, right? Unless you go to farmer's market exclusively, like you really can't get a sense of, of where, what the lineage is, who, who did that and whether they were ethically, ethically treated. Um, so you're almost taking the easy way out. You're basically just, ha you know, hashtag thoughts and prayers uh, to the, to the animals of the world. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, I think that you know, to your point, Levi, you don't have any real visibility in that, but through your politics and how you vote, you could support, you know, you know, better labor standards or, you know, more streamlined immigration so that people can be on the books and, you know, be protected like American citizen workers, that sort of stuff. Okay. I'm discovering something on this podcast that anyone's views on vegetarianism will be immediately attacked. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's any I, views that you hold will be attacked. Really any views. Yeah. Really any views. Yeah. This I, is not like a, you know, moral one way or the other or something that we disagree with or or agree with. It's just a, you know, this is this is this is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, For but, this but I podcast, I, I fully anticipate getting you we bust balls about everything. But I do think in life there's a nugget of truth to what Spencer's saying. Because if you tell people, oh I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, a surprising number of people, their first reaction is to try to poke holes in it because they aren't one. To try to say, well, why? You know, like, it's it almost like I think some people take it as a personal attack. Like, I'm judging them for eating meat as opposed to this is just a choice I made. Yeah, well, I, I think that there's a there are people that do things and do them because they're personal reasons, and then don't talk about it. And then there are people that talk about it in situations where they clearly are judging. And I think that there's the the stories that that are. Oh, hey, like, you know, uh, you know, a vegetarian, like, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, join in that dish that you got is like, all right, whatever. I mean, I have, there are a surprising number of people that have gone through labs and where we've gone out to dinner as a lab that are vegetarians. And so we try and choose restaurants that there are things that are going to be available for them and, and have a discussion about it. But like, it's the most boring story. Like there isn't something to relate to anybody else about like, well, you know, somebody in the lab's a vegetarian, so we got them some vegetarian food and had more vegetarian dishes when we were sharing a meal. Like, that that's not anywhere near as, like, a vegan was just like, oh, why are you eating meat? And just like, well, you know, stop 
being an asshole to me like you're wearing like a leather jacket like come on yeah did you immediately say oh okay so you're okay with torturing mice but you won't have a piece of chicken (laughs) well again like i think you know (laughs) the same moral argument and and but yeah a lot of a lot of the vegetarian people that we've had in the lab are more uncomfortable with killing mice and that's you know a completely understandable um but it's also an element of um you know you know i'm not super knowledgeable about this but i know that the industrial meat sort of uh trade is not particularly good for the environment oh yeah 100 percent. a whole swath of eastern north carolina that just lives in pig shit yeah, I mean, pig and, and chicken are, are just, they're sort of awful things for a lot of the environment. And, you know, it's something that, you know, it'd be nice if, if things were better. Um, but to your uh, farmer's market comment, Levi, specifically tomatoes, non-farmer's market tomatoes are basically just awful. I mean, some heirlooms are fine, and sometimes you can get good tomatoes at, at supermarkets, but um, one of my favorite things that I've been doing for the past couple of months is just getting good tomatoes around here and then cooking them down. And it's just like my favorite condiment. And so like for, for I want to say like four months now, I've just always had like a, uh, a container of, uh, tomato, uh, jam essentially that I've just been putting on things and it's the best hundred percent to try it. Well, that's because the tomatoes are the most most sort of sterling example of why sort of commoditized this sort of big big farm or, or big agriculture has just ruined food. I mean, tomatoes are absolutely delicious when they're fresh. Like, I mean, it literally, you you have a fresh tomato, you put a little bit of salt on it, eat it eat it raw. It's fantastic. It's it's delicious. Um, whereas store bought tomatoes are god awfully terrible there's nothing to write home about they're they're they're, they're mushy they have no taste there's nothing good good to write home about it um i'm sure that can be said about it, a lot of other um i feel like the best example is a red delicious apple i mean it is red so that's technically correct but every <laughs> is a dirty lie. it's barely an apple for two that's really true of most of the produce you buy, it seems like you buy in the store nowadays where so much of the things just run on the shelf at like you know a I'll use Publix because it's near me. It just has almost no flavor anymore. Like the Red Delicious is definitely one of the worst culprits of where that's just not an apple. It is a vague taste of water. And the same, yeah, tomatoes is a great example though. Cause so many tomatoes you get in the store, it, I feel almost like I'm, I'm just obliged to put it on a sandwich because I'm used to, but it's adding nothing to the experience anymore. I mean, tomatoes. Unless you get it from Aldi and then it's rotting on the shelves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just really think the tomatoes has the biggest delta between what you get in store and what you what you get something that's relatively fresh, um, because um, I mean other definitely other vegetables are much better, right? But the the delta there is not quite as as wide. Like kale kale doesn't have like a big delta between farm and farm raised and, and, and industrially created. I mean there's there's definitely a delta, but it's not massive. Uh, whereas right. tomatoes are really just a different. They're not the same vegetable or fruit um yeah i mean definitions. seems like fruit's the biggest biggest potential for delta vegetables that are delicate things that, that will spoil will go bad and things like that and like i mean i shit on the red delicious but like it's it's kind of the you know the budweiser fruit like they're essentially all the same they're shelf stable basically you know it, 
you know, it can rot, but they, they're essentially produced so they look good and they, they won't go bad in like a month or two. That's what they're breeding for, so that they can ship them across country wherever they want without them, you know, rotting on the truck. Yes, they're Goldie. Sincere disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Anything else we want to cover in this first um, episode here? We're recording. Like we have two more on brands. So, so Terry, um, before we move on, I'm I'm curious there with the the becoming a a mostly vegetarian. Um, what is the worst feedback you've gotten so far? Uh, probably BJ attacking me for not supporting migrant workers um, would be up there. Um, but no, I think <laughs> I think really, I don't know. I haven't told a lot of people because I was kind of feeling it out and seeing if I could get some momentum with it. I wouldn't want to be one of those people that, like announces on day two that I'm a vegetarian and in a week I'm eating fucking fried chicken again. So I just wanted to see if I could I could get some momentum and, and do it before I started telling folks. But I've told a few few people, and I think the the worst reaction I get is people who are who who immediately do with the thing I was talking about, where they immediately go, "Well, well, I, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, chickens aren't intelligent, or you know, like they start like defending the fact that they eat meat, and I just don't give a shit about that conversation." Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, just because I I've got personal theories, right? Um, for those who don't know, I was vegetarian for for many years, endured plenty of, plenty of crap from you guys about it. Um, but that's just what we do. Um, never really faced <laughs> me is you'd pick something else. This is bullying behavior. You you'd bully on something. What you're bullying about is not the important thing. Um, but I just I never really got a ton of that that feedback, that sort of aggressive negative feedback. And I, I, I am curious whether or not that is wrapped into the fact that I'm like taller and wider than average and look intimidating and don't smile. And like people aren't aren't gonna just be like, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're you're a little bitch. Um that that has never happened to me. Um so I'm some tell you, yeah. That's the reason. Well, well obviously it, it it is a role, right? It's a factor. It matters. Um but I'm curious over time, what what your reaction experience is, just because you're more approachable, people feel like they can say things to you as opposed to me, where they're like, I'm going to cross the street. Um, well, also, yeah. like, I I don't think that. I mean, I, I think eventually, like you you said that you were you were essentially vegetarian, and and like we teased you about being efficient because that that was like the, uh, some of it behind it, uh, Levi, but. Like, how often did you have that conversation? Because, Lee, like, I, I do feel like you are, in some ways, proselytizing is not the right word, but, like, trying to to have other people, like, think about what they're doing. And so, like, you're telling people, and maybe I'm just completely wrong with it, but, like, otherwise, like, why are you telling people? And, and I feel like in in terms of Levi... I don't imagine you telling people other than like they ask you like oh like are you vegetarian like why aren't you eating meat where really i can see that being like you know come up in a conversation and something that you talk about and want to talk about because you are very forward on many issues that you care about and it's something that you talk about and i think it's something that's really good but then i think that you have a different experience to uh to levi or or you know any of us that that have certain beliefs that we might get pushed back just because we don't talk about it as much because, you know, we are not engaging people. 
Yeah, I would say that's 90% wrong. I mean, I don't, I have not told anyone that, that it didn't naturally come up except for Spencer yesterday on when we were before we recorded and then you guys now, cause we need to fill two hours. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, but other than that, I'm not really going around saying, Hey, by the way, now I'm vegetarian. It's more like at the office when everybody's ordering food, I say, is there a vegetarian option? And somebody goes, well, why? And I go, well, trying to eat vegetarian. But also like, I, I think that my ability to like have moral high ground in the argument is completely undercut by the fact that I'm willing to eat meat once a week. It's not like I can walk around and say I'm super pure about this because I, I still will eat a steak if it is given yeah, to me. It's, it's, like, it's your point earlier. It's that you don't ha when you're when you're doing something that is you know good for the environment, good for a variety of reasons. You don't. It's not really fitting to criticize that person for then not doing more. They're making a step. It's it's one of those things where that we we're in a kind of an age, particularly at the internet, where purity is being demanded on all topics, and that if you're not. If you're making any kind of stance on any subject, if you're not 100% perfect in that view, everyone feels obliged to kind of hit you for it. It's a, it's a weird kind of morals, morals uh, purism pure, that's being required. Yeah, I don't know that's if, a really good point, Spencer. I don't know if that's mural puritanism, but it, it certainly is weird, right? Online, there, there definitely is that flavor of you're doing this, but you're not doing this, these other 10 things. Why don't you care about these other 10 things? They're actually more important. Um, and it's like, well, I'm just trying to do something good. I don't know. Something good is better than nothing good, so I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. Um, so culture, right? What's it called? There's an element of that. There's also an element of just like people trying to like be the most woke motherfucker out there, um, and it's like, hmm. stop it. Yeah, I hate that shit. Yeah, I think it's a, a lot of like here are the check boxes that you need to check off, and if you're not checking off all of them, like you can't call yourself whatever, and it it's a very you know. Uh, uh, there's a word for the gatekeeping where it's just like, you know, if, if this is what you want to do and the best word for it is, is this like, you know, somebody shouldn't try and gatekeep you and say like, no, you're like, you're not, what you're doing isn't valid and, you know, doesn't, doesn't hold some weight just because, uh, their co concept of it is something else. Yeah, and I, you see this in politics, too, because I think that you saw this in the 2016 Democratic primary and you're seeing it now where like Bernie Sanders tries to just out liberal everybody. And if you have a liberal position, he undercuts it by saying you're not liberal over here. Like you need you need to be all the way to the poll where I am. And that argument gets traction among voters. It's driven the entire party to the left over the last few years. Uh, it's one of the things where it's interesting to see Obama actually publicly come out and say we should not be demanding ideological purity tests from candidates. Candidates are going to disagree with you to a certain point, and the only way we can be a coalition of the big tent parties to accept we're not always going to agree. And he's gotten a lot of shit for saying that from certain circles of the Democratic Party now. He's right. All right. Who else do we have on brand for this first recording? Well, I feel like mine's going to be kind of in contrast to yours. Uh, so we'll see where that goes of where, um, here's a question. Uh, a lot of y'all have either had pets or have pets. Have you ever had a pet that's had like a recurrent health issue you had to deal with? Yes. Yes. And it just spends part of your routine that you, you know, you do what's necessary to treat it. And you don't necessarily think about what the process is or whatever else. Um, I mentioned this to, I think it was BJ and Levi, but, uh, one of my pets, the rabbit has a health issue, which required me over the last couple of weeks to uh, 
Take a vibrator, apply it to his belly for the purpose of his gastrointestinal health. Whoa, okay. Um, can you define terms? A vibrator, is it literally a vibrator or is it? Well, I asked if he was using a rabbit on the rabbit. Uh, which which I would love to say that was the case because that would be fun, but no, it was uh, one of those kind of like bullet vibrators. Did Was this acquired from um, your partner? Uh, this was acquired for pretty much the purpose of this activity. Did you go to a sex store for this, or is this a medical one? You wrote a check to a ordered, sex store? Ordered it from Amazon. So you ordered a sex toy from Amazon to treat your, your rabbit's gastrointestinal uh, problems. Yeah, because rabbits are like the apparently one of the worst designed creatures uh, in the sense that they can't uh, vomit or cough up, particularly like hairballs, despite the fact they always just groom themselves. So the hair kind of has to go through them, otherwise they get lodged and they just, you know, die. Um, also issues with their teeth, where like on a, like an, other animals, that their teeth can get misaligned and they just die. It's a lot of things that rabbits just die from. And Sounds so, like you're not a big proponent of intelligent design. Uh, no, no, no. There is all kinds of examples of quirks and animals, particularly my pets, that very much demonstrate that there was not a plan here. There was a random series of events that has resulted in this thing. Uh, and one of one of that random series of events requires me to, every now and then, while I'm watching TV, take my two-pound rabbit, put him on my lap, apply a bullet vibrate, vibrator into his under his undercarriage, and just kind of vibrate the rabbit for a couple of, for an hour or so. For an hour? <laughs> No, he he kind of sits there. Uh, at first, he kind of growls at me, and then afterwards, he just kind of gets used to it, and we just sit there kind of like watching TV together for a while. Uh, I'll notice that he'll not be eating as much or not as pooping as much, and that goes on for a long enough period. It would be concerning, so I yeah, we've developed a habit of where this is just the response that we have. And I didn't really think about it until I was thinking of like you know things for this talk of on-brand things, but that's kind of weird. It works. Yeah, I got necessary, but... This is probably not in the norm of ways that this particular condition is treated, other than the fact that it has proven results in the past. I have a question. Yeah. So how did you know to treat the rabbit this way? Uh, desperation, previously, when he was real bad. Where there was a period there of where we were having to force feed him for a week, where we were making kind of like a liquid slurry, and using a very large kind of, the big plastic syringes to squirt it down his gullet. Um, and even then, he was getting nutrients, but he still wasn't going to the bathroom. And we'd gone to the vet, nothing was working. And so kind of out of desperation, we used a current vibrator that we had uh, to apply it to his belly to just try to see whether some degree of shaking him would dislodge what was ever in him. And it worked. A couple a day later, he started going to the bathroom again and eating normally. It was like, okay, well, scientific method seems to be working here. Let's keep doing this. And... Since then, it purely could just be, you know, coincidence, correlation, but it appears to be working. So, so scientific method, the hypothesis was that vibrating your rabbit would help him poop? That was the, that was the theory we were going with, yes. And it was proven by an experiment with a sample size of one. And since then, we've got about four or five more samples. So I'm curious, did the vet have no, no say in <laughs> any of this? The vet wasn't like... Uh, the problem is, is that he's getting congested or blocked up. Um, we don't quite know how to, to take care of that. And then you guys figured it out yourself. It, did the vet just say, I don't know, he's not pooping. It sounds like something's blocked. That's my question. Yeah. Uh, this... here, here's the charge. Go about your day. Um, uh, yeah. 
Vets for rabbits are a weird kind of thing because you you can't just go to the normal vet most people go to to bring your rabbit. It's officially listed as an exotic animal. And so you have to find a vet that accepts them. And there is a range of quality you get there, particularly when you're going to like an emergic, emergency exotic vet. And so the guy we went to basically just said, eh, you know, they, they get blocked up and not much you can really do. Uh, I mean, we'd go in for surgery, but he'll probably die. So, uh, yeah. That was basically what he told us. It's like, okay, so that he's got to block it. Yeah, we think so. I mean, there's a, something fuzzy here on the x-ray, so probably what that is. <laughs> so so what, what, do we, what do we do? Well, you, you know, you keep uh, force-feeding him, and uh, hopefully he goes through. So, uh, yeah, uh, sorry. Hope you all have a nice day. Like, walked out the room. It's like, that'll be $200. You know, if, if only it was that. It's exotic vet. Um, so it's just one of the things, like, okay, uh, so, yeah, what do we do? Well, I've heard about vibration used to break up like kidney stones. Should we try that? That was pretty much the conversation. I will so. say on the other side that I, I would guess that most people aren't super happy to spend a couple thousand on a rabbit, and rabbits don't tolerate anesthesia well. Oh, no, they don't. So. Absolutely not. And honestly, we like the guy, but we were not really willing to spend a couple thousand bucks either right at that moment either. Uh, so... Also, when your doctor's basically telling you it will cost a couple thousand bucks and he's got like a 90% chance of dying, that's not going to be a viable option under pretty much a definition. So we found an alternative, and I'm happy to say it has continued to work. It's also kind of weird. Uh, exotic vets are sort of like the weird catch-all for like pets it's the no weirdest one else wants to deal with. Because um, it's like lizards, birds, rabbits, and then... Yes. Uh, what? Snakes. A lot of snakes. Yeah, uh, snakes, uh, like random rodents and stuff like that, because small animal vets essentially are going to specialize in cats and dogs, and that's it. And so, like, of the specialties, this one is just like, all right, you know, maybe 30 to 50 different species that you might see in your practice. Like, just have fun. Um, have fun with that. I've been in the waiting room for those places up where there was, you know... <laughs> It was a it was a guy it was a, any variety you can imagine a lot of people with birds a lot of people with very small animals and there was one guy with a, like a giant boa constrictor snake of where he brought with him the small rodents that he was going to feed the snake while sitting next to people with other small rodents they were taking to the vet like this is a very unique experience that I'm walking into right now I'm sitting there holding my pound my, sorry Levi also Florida. Uh... Yeah, Florida's got that element, too, where we have a variety of invasive species that are now just native to the Everglades because of people with exotic pets. So Isn't Florida, I, one of the one of the few states that still allow you to, to have primates as pets. I think it's Missouri and Florida, maybe. I don't know. We have a lot of primate enclosures from people having exotic pets that they've just kind of abandoned the in these places have taken them in. But I don't know. I, I'd be curious to look that up. I'll have to check. Florida has really lax rules in general for pets. Because I feel like Florida is like one of the places where you can have like tigers and yeah. I'll double check that because I think they recently finally changed the law on that. But yeah, previously tigers were perfectly okay. There's a lot of very large cat. If you look like the large cat sanctuaries in the United States, several are in Florida because of that reason. So what I wanted our listeners to take away, especially if there are any kids, which I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, that you're listening to this, but remember that there are jobs out there for you, even if you're not that bright or ambitious or creative, uh, you can just be an exotic pet 
that and just say, I don't know, cost you a thousand dollars, it'll probably die. Uh, there are better exotic exotic vets. Our regular exotic vet is great, but when you're going to some place at like two a.m. in the morning, you're not necessarily going to get the top list. I mean, so you joke about that, Levi, but like it's way harder to be a vet. It's harder to get into vet school in the U.S. than it is to get into medical school by a fairly significant amount. Really? Um, yeah. Know that. Um, part of it's the number of spots. Part of it is because. Uh, I don't know, lots of people, I guess, want to do it for some reason, even though it's like way, way, way worse profession than pretty much any other medical profession in terms of uh, take home pay, hours, uh, abuse from clients, uh, you know, to name any like number of things. It's uh, I think they're they might be even past dentists in terms of suicide rates. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's a, it's an unforgiving profession that, that has a very hilariously high bar. Okay. All right, so that, that is my on brand. Uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Um, Levi, did, did we already have yours? We did not. And I just really can't think of one that really is that interesting. I've had a pretty boring several weeks just like working too much do do my Spencer thing it's increasing come on brand for you to apparently be working you know till like 3 a.m i wouldn't say it's on brand i'd say that one big uh, good the the uh having a project to submit that you put an insane amount of work on kind of last minute that you didn't really read the rules to and don't really know like you know what what is actually going to happen and also like, oh yeah, I should probably check in with my girlfriend. She was talking about like wanting to spend time with me. Like it was a little bit of a weird thing, which, you know, just sort of like those grouped together is like what your evenings were like, you know, really amusing. Well, yeah, and what, what BJ is referring to is the fact that um, I was working on a, a project for work. Um, it, it, it is something that my larger business unit, um, it's a, competition amongst my larger, larger business unit, my specific group inside of my business unit doesn't do this type of thing that frequently, if at all. Um, so I, I knew that this challenge existed, but I just like filed the email away and was like, yeah, that's the thing that exists, but I, we don't do that. Uh, it came to my attention recently that some of the stuff that I was doing could be uh, sort of back-ended to um, fitting here. And so I spent a lot of time working on it and uh, yeah, to, I, I was telling BJ and, and, and Spencer uh, last night. Yeah, I could, I could went, went up to $15,000. That's why I sort of did it uh, because there's a non-trivial amount of money I can get out of it. Um, but BJ had the, the obvious next follow-up question, which is when do you hear whether you advance to the next stage, whether you actually get money? Um, and my answer was, I don't know. I didn't read anything. I just sort of did this. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good on brand. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not about the bureaucracy there. I'm, I'm about like just excellence um, and achieving success. And <laughs> good God, I'm yeah, I'm about achieving success, like many, meeting all these points. So, so what were the the points, Levi? I don't know. It just seemed about like something that I could do. It's okay. About, I mean, BJ, if you want me to give my corporate uh, uh, response, it's about me being a thought leader inside of the field and positioning our product in, 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 in a slew of competitors. Spaces. <laughs> like thought leader is really the phrase that I want want you to to remember here. Um, I can do that whole spiel, but I it, it's not. Like, I was just doing cool stuff. That's, that's what I do. Thought partner. Not a thought partner. No, I'm a thought leader. I don't. I don't partner. I, with I am a journey partner. That's what yeah, I say. 
Okay. You're, so you're a journey partner. I'm a thought leader. Uh, so I'm, partner. I'm there with really, you. I'm really with you higher, through this journey. I'm higher than you. Although, by the way, my presentation was about a journey. <laughs> it was <laughs> <laughs> analytic journey in, in, in software as a service. Um, but. <laughs> uh, All right. Good, 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 good one there, Levi. All right. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Um, I think we're good. Do we have any other things we want to want to bring up on on this portion of the episode? I think the only thing that that would tickle me at some point is I feel like we should all come up with um, the the like executive jargon that that fits us. I I, I love it's like I'm a thought leader and 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 Lee is the uh, journey partner. Um, <laughs> well, I think just Terry and I specifically, like we're we're more in that realm. Um, right. Like I remember. Remember, he was asking me about um, his company was interested in, in in buying the type of software that my company produces, um, and he was you know talking about whether our software would fit. Actually, a competitor software would fit a little bit more, and I was sort of telling him um, my key sort of themes that he'd want to ask about. Um, I just really distinctly remember your response, which is like, you know what you're talking about, huh? Like, you know, like these are important parts. You, you bring up a lot of good points. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I do for my day job. Um, Those conversations have made me look really good in a few meetings. Good. <laughs> that is that is the goal of our relationship with, with our executive champions is to make them look good. You you especially, you, you hit me with this one on Con of Thrones, which is to ask about the click amounts. How many clicks does it take to accomplish this particular transaction? Yes. I asked that one day and, oh, man. The, oh, the sales rep went crazy. He was like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, you know, that's, that is like the next level. Whenever I get a customer who asks me about this, those types of questions. So for background for listeners, um, I'm in the, the, the visual analytics space. So think dashboarding, Tableau, Power BI, my company is called Click. Um, but one of the sort of next level things is, is the really sophisticated customers do start to think about what is the time to, you could say time to insights or time to actionable you know, actionable data. Um, so how many clicks does it take for a person to navigate to something that's discreetly actionable for their job function, um, which is a good way of looking at it and saying, how much crap do I have to go through to get to what actually matters to me as a person inside of my business? Um, so for example, um, Spencer, like if your law firm had a had a hours tracking or a sort of P&L um, application, which a lot of law firms are creating um, because law firms are increasingly getting more business-like, um, which is, I imagine, frustrating for actual lawyers, um, but it's great for yeah, it's it's great for us who who are selling uh, BI in that space. Um, but like, if if like your key KPIs that you were judged against for your year in review took you like 15 clicks and drill downs, it would be a very frustrating application for you to consume. And so trying to optimize that is like a very play. It, it's a very good goal because it, it shows you not just know the data that needs to be presented, but also in it, present it in an attractive, usable manner um, so that you can actually discreetly take action off of it very quickly. That would so. be like the funniest thing for, for me to bring up in my space. It's like, all right, so, um, so the this is the the data we, that we need for this project, um, you know. So so how many how many clicks? How many you know? How much time do you think you'll have to spend with any given application to to generate this uh, this data? And I feel like every graduate student would just be like, "I hate you. I want you to yeah, die up there." BJ, you're you're in the field where you're going to have other people and organizations doing that type of shit for you. Yes, we need you to focus on yeah. the science. Yeah, it, it, it's folks just like, like me doing that. The complete opposite side of the coin um and it's just it, it's 
sort of interesting to me, like how, how different that is, like the generative process as opposed to streamlining the process and how like they almost have opposite goals. Well, I mean, in, in at least my space, right? Like we're not doing novel discovery. There's not really right. novel discovery, right? It, 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 it's exploration of data that is that you know is important. You know sales data is important. You know timelines are important to projects and to to contracts or to um, grants um, in Terry space. Like you know these things are important. There's nothing new and unique. We're not building a, a a sort of regression model. We're not doing weird stuff. We're just trying to surface data. Whereas your stuff is like novel discovery. It's like yeah, it, this is going to be new. So it's going to be pretty hard for me to tell me how many clicks it's going to take or how to optimize it. Um, right. I need to get it done first, and then we can worry about you know farming that up to out the grad students to optimize stuff i was gonna say it's also funny to me that spencer's just like oh like i hate all of that but i feel like if you had a good streamlined piece of software be like 10 hours uh, on saturday night that you have to spend like figuring out your billables would just be so much more streamlined and pleasant it's one of the things where the end result is lovely but we're still in the growing pains we're still going through okay we've never implemented this software before now we're going to try to actually be a proper business rather than what law firms have ever been. And dealing with that, going through implementing that in the various stages of it, and particularly getting all of the various non-technology people that work at the firm on page is a thing. And that, that is an sure. unpleasant part. Yeah, always going to be short-term pain. Always. Anything else we want to cover? I can't wait to get to the second recording here, guys. I'm rushing you along because I really want to see BJ try this peanut butter whiskey. The stank face he's going to give is going to be fantastic. Um, yeah, so I already made a stank face. I'm going to try and uh, reprise it uh, for <laughs> a second. All right, this has been fun. It's part one of uh, Whiskey on the Weekends. Recorded on the